Good morning, Grace Fellowship. Wonderful to be with you this morning. I gave it all at the last service. So you got to hold a hand out right now for me because i got to pray for a renewed wave of strength from the Lord. Can you do that? Can you just hold a hand out for me? And I'm going to pray for me as you pray for me. Father, thank you so much for this, the faithful gathering of your children. Lord, I come before you and acknowledge now that I am tired, but you are strong. I am weak, but you are great, God, and your perfection, your strength is made perfect in my weakness. So I ask now that you help me to put all my trust in you, Lord God, that I would mount up on wings like eagles and that I would run and not grow weary, that I would walk and not be faint. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness to us today. And we pray this all in the precious name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Wonderful to be with you today as we continue in our series called Growing Deeper Still. Would you be kind enough to read with me out loud our verse for the whole of the series? They will be called Oaks of Righteousness, a planning of the Lord for the display of His splendor. So, we talked last week about this work being spoken through the prophet Isaiah about you and me. That we are to be called Oaks of Righteousness, a planning of the Lord for the display of His splendor. So I have a question for you. Does your life display the splendor of God? Some of you might go, I think it does. Others might go, ah, I don't know. Today we're going to talk about being formed in God, being formed by God, being formed in God. You know, we said this little phrase, we rest in God so we can risk in God in order to be formed by God so we can be found in God by others. Say it with me, please. We rest in God to risk in God in order to be formed by God so we can be found by God in God by others. Sorry, I messed up my own little saying. You got it right, though. So today we're going to talk about being formed in the image of Jesus Christ. This is the most important thing about you. This is your character. This is not what people think about you. That's your reputation. This is about who you are when no one is looking. So the question I have for you today is, who are you when no one is looking? That's your true character. You know, many of us, we have this kind of disease called impression management. We want to impression manage all the people around us. We want to become whatever they want us to be just so we'll be accepted. But we go home and we're a very different person there than we are out in public. You see, what speaks to your character is in what your deep heart you are like. I got a question for you today. How many of you would like your thoughts from this last week in its entirety projected on these screens for everybody to see? Anybody. Now, why is that? Because you know that you have problems with your character. I was thinking about that myself this week. Would I like my thoughts? No, I wouldn't. I want you to see me differently than I truly am inside. Now, of course, there's a relative level of vulnerability that we show to those in the body of Christ, but we all need character transformation. So as a question I have for you, what kind of person do you want to be? What do you really want to be like? How do you want your character to be formed? What do you want people to see in you? If you say, I just want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more patient, kind, gentle, discerning, stronger in my faith, filled with the Holy Ghost. Then I could say, praise be to God that you want those things. The reason why you want that is because Jesus Christ lives in you. Apart from him wanting you, you would not be wanting him. Others of us, we might say, well, Jeff, frankly, I just want to like, get a nicer car, a bigger house, and have more money. And I want to say to you, I, I want you to check to see if you're in the faith. 
I want you to test yourself to see if you really have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if that's what you're pursuing, you are shooting way too low. God wants so much more for you than you want for yourself. He wants to set you radically free. So, say for instance you do want to become like Jesus. Say you do want these, the fruit of the Spirit to be displayed in your life. Here's the question I have for you then. What kind of person are you becoming? Is who you're becoming, does that line up with truly who you want to be? What is the course that you're on to becoming? You've got to play out the movie. That's a little phrase I got from Henry Cloud and John Townsend when I was with my precious wife out in San Juan Capistrano years ago. We went out there to spend time in their ultimate leadership workshop. It was like a week of absolute exorcism. Like they reached inside of your soul and they pulled out stuff that you didn't want to look at. And you're like, that's in me. They're like, that's in you. And I'm like, oh, save me, Jesus. But playing out the movie is this. If you keep believing what you're believing, if you keep feeling what you're feeling, if you keep acting the way that you're acting and making the choices that you're making, who will you become? Play out the movie. Are you on the course that you want to be on? How many of you have ever been around a cantankerous, curmudgeon, resentful, bitter, controlling old person? How many of you want to become like that? Well, that's a better question. We won't go there right now, but... Apart from the grace of God and your intention in following him, you could be there. How many of you have ever been around a person who's so timid in their faith that nobody knows whether they really know Jesus at all? A person who may go to church on Sundays, but they don't take any risks in showing or telling people about Jesus in the work and people around them. How many people know a person like that? I won't ask you to raise your hand if you are a person like that. But today we're going to talk about that. Do you want to become that person? Apart from your intention in following Jesus and the grace of God, there you could be. Being milquetoast in your faith, just weak, just kind of blown by the wind here and there, and never really professing the goodness of God to anybody around you. We're all formed, for better or worse, by the things that we believe. That's the messages we tell ourselves. But what we tell ourselves determines how we feel. And then our thoughts and our emotions, they often determine our choices, our actions. And we're an aggregate of all of that. We're an amalgam. That's the cumulative product of what you think, you feel, and you choose over time. That's who you become. And God says, turn to me. Rest in the truth of who you are in me. Rest in the truth of who I am and take risks for the cause of my kingdom and then you will be formed to be like me. Then you will unmistakably belong to Jesus. Your colors will be clear. You will walk out into the public square, into the marketplace, and the workplace and people will say, I think that person's a Christian. Some of you might be saying, it's too late for me, Jeff. I've bought into so many lies. I've allowed my emotions and the deceptions of my life to making me, lead me to make horrible decisions over time, and I can't just start over. Can I tell you something? You could not be more wrong. Can I tell you that God loves to help people start over and over and over again? Can I tell you how I know that? Because that's the story of my life. He helps me start over and over and over again. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. So if you think you're here and you're too far gone, can I tell you that you're absolutely wrong? Jesus Christ loves to write new stories in the lives of people. You might say, well, there's no one here on planet Earth will give me another chance. But you have to say, but God 
Say those two words, but God. But God will. He's always there for you in this way. Why? He doesn't depend on you. He doesn't, he doesn't need you. He's love. Can I tell you something here on planet Earth? When people say they love you, what that often means is they like being around you or they're dependent on you in some way or they need something from you. None of us have 100% pure motives. We're all mixed in our motives. So when people say, I love you here, you got to ask the question, like, where's that coming from? Can I tell you something? When God says he loves you, he just says it because he is love. He doesn't need you. He doesn't depend on you. He doesn't wring his hands in heaven when you mess up. That's not our God. You might say, well, I've, God, I've let you down so many times. Can I tell you that's a lie? You know why? You were never holding God up to start with. You can't let God down. You're not the one holding him up. He's not dependent on you. He's God. You're not. And he loves you. Now look, today we're going to talk about being formed according to the will and ways of God. The Bible is filled with characters of those that have been formed in the image of God. And if you want to take your booklet, you can look at page 76 to 78 in the Growing Deeper Still booklet. There you'll find a list of character traits that you can meditate on right from the scriptures. They have scripture references there, and you can go to that in your quiet time, and you can be asking God, God, who do you want me to be? Who do you want me to be? Today we're going to focus on one character attribute that I think is desperately needed in our culture. This is the attribute of boldness and courage in the face of adversity. Listen to these words from Philippians 2, 14 for 16. We are called to be blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Let me ask you a question. How many of you believe that we live in a warped and crooked generation? Show of hands. Okay, if you're not raising your hand, check your pulse. Or at least do some study with Jesus. How many of you would like to be like stars shining in the sky for the glory of God? Raise your hands. Can I tell you that God has an opportunity for you to start today? To shine like a star in a warped and crooked generation. Today, we're going to look at the biblical character who did just that. He shined like a star in the midst of wickedness and political correctness that sought to oppress his faith and minimize his impact. Because he rested in the Lord and he risked in the Lord all his life, he was able to rise above that opposition and continue to make choices that brought glory to God. This man is named Daniel. And today we're going to look primarily at what is perhaps the greatest story God ever wrote in Daniel's life. It's the story of Daniel in the lion's den. How many of you are familiar with this? Yeah, you probably read it in a kid's book. I'm always shocked at what we put in kids' books, right? Noah and the ark and Daniel in the lion's den, right? Oh, honey, let's read about this. God wiped out the entire population of the planet, just waved with a wave, just everybody drowned. You don't see a picture of like, people screaming and their arms flailing in the water, but that's the story. This one is pretty powerful. Daniel had outlived two Babylonian kings, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. Belshazzar was Nebuchadnezzar's son. I'm going to refer to Nebuchadnezzar as Nebs. That's how I just refer to him that way. That's my little, little phrase for Nebuchadnezzar. He first was taken captive by Nebs when, he was, when, when Nebs actually ransacked Jerusalem. And in the process, he took the children of Israel, many of them captive in Babylon. That's where we see um, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which I'll affectionately refer to as Rakshak and Benny. How many of you are like um, VeggieTales people? So you know Rakshak and Benny. 
So Nebuchadnezzar died, and his son Balsasar became king, and Daniel remained. And he was followed by these kings, Darius and Cyrus. And so we know Daniel remained in Babylon throughout the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. So we know that he lived under four kings in Babylon in exile. These are pagan kings. Pagan kings. Up to this point in Daniel's life, we know that he's shown himself to be a remarkable man of God. He's resting in the truth of who God is, and he's risking for God. He refused to defile himself by eating the king's food. He interpreted dreams for both Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar that could have gotten him killed. And yet he still continued to trust God. We can also infer that like his friends, Ratchak and Benny, he wouldn't bow down to the golden image that Neb's put in place. So when those people went through the fiery furnace... You know, and then the, the one in there, the fourth person, like, looked like a son of man. That was Jesus with them. Like, he's witnessing all this. He's not bowing down to that as well. And so Daniel believed, and he fed himself on God's word, and he acted in risk according to God's truth. He was formed to be a great man of faith, courage, and strength in the midst of tremendous opposition. Daniel's colors were clear. People knew who he belonged to. There was no question about it. How about you? So at the end of chapter 5, we read these words. Then Belshazzar, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed to be the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Now this is right after Daniel interprets the writing on the wall for this king that's going to take him out. He elevates him to the third highest ruler in the whole of the kingdom. We'll talk about why in a few minutes. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. This has to be like the shortest promotion on record, don't you think? So Belshazzar puts him to the third highest in the kingdom, and that very night he's slain, and then Darius comes in, and Darius keeps Daniel in a position of authority. Most people don't do that. Kings didn't do that at times. They wiped out the whole administration. They'd start all over again. But Daniel, because of his remarkable qualities, stays in a position of influence. Now, what most people don't know is at this time when the the lion's den thing happened, Daniel was 85 years old. 85 years old. Most of us wouldn't worry about surviving the lions. We'd worry about the fall just being thrown into the den, don't you think? Most of us don't think that at 85 years old, God could use us. And can I tell you something? You are never too old to be used by God. And you're never too young to be used by God. How many of you ever had a depressing birthday? A birthday where you thought, oh, this is just old. Quite a few. You're older than the first service. So nobody. I had one. It was 25. I don't know why. I haven't had a depressing birthday since 25. But at 25, I thought I should have been at some rung on the opinion ladder by then. And I hadn't reached it. So I went to God and I was depressed for a number of months. And he just said, who cares about your opinion ladder? Trust me, you're never too old to be used by God. Here's Daniel at 85 years old, being used in a remarkable way that we're talking about today. So we want to look at this story together. We're going to look first together at um, some of the reasons, some of the things that we see in Daniel about his character. I'm going to read from verse 6 in uh, Daniel. Uh, Daniel, Daniel 9, I think this is. So it pleased Darius, actually this is 6, isn't it? Yeah. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. 
with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. So there's 120 administrators called satraps, and there's three people over them, and Daniel is one of them. The satraps were made accountable to them, these guys, the three administrators, so that the king might not suffer loss. Daniel was put in a position where he'll have to show integrity to protect the king's interests. Now, Daniel so extinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct for governing affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt or negligent. Finally, these men say, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the first thing we're going to look at in Daniel is his competence. You see, he was seen as a man who was excellent, had exceptional qualities, and distinguished himself among all the administrators. This is a very important thing for us to understand. What Daniel did, he did with excellence. And excellence is a biblical value. Many of us think that because we're saved by the grace of God, we can just kind of slop our way through life, right? Half-finished tasks, using half-hearted efforts, and just enough to get Can I tell you something? I think Daniel would find that idea repugnant. You know why? Because the scripture is very clear that you and I are to be compelled by the love of God to serve people excellently and to do the things that we do with great intent for the glory of God. Listen to Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord, not for men. Titus 2.7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. In your teaching, show integrity, dignity, sound, or excellent speech. Philippians, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment, that you may be able to prove what is excellent, to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Listen to Proverbs 22. Do you see a man who is skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. And Proverbs 12.4, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. I thought I'd just throw that in there to see if you're awake. <laughs> Let the word of God fall where it needs to. Daniel 5.12, because of an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel. He was excellent at problem solving, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now Daniel was called and put in a position of influence. Why? Because he actually sought excellence in the Lord. Daniel was competent. He had godly character as well, and that character led to commitment to the Lord. He served people well, even those who were pagans. Listen up, young people, if you're here. I just want to give you a word. I'm not saying this is true about all of you. I'm not. I just know that there's a crisis in the Christian culture concerning work ethic. I got a buddy down in Baltimore. He's got a huge construction company. He can't get anybody to work for him. He's gone to ministries and, and, and Christian organizations and people come and you know what? They don't show up for work. He said, all you have to do is show up for work. He said, Jeff, I can't even get anybody to show up for work. Do you know that there is an eroding work ethic in our culture? And the church is showing that as well at times. No, my dad, he was a godly man. He taught me some things. He said this first, 
Pray and seek God, Jeff. If you pray and seek God, God will show you the way. But you can't just pray and seek Him. You've got to work hard with Him. You have to work hard in such a way that you become accomplished and excellent at what you do. Then when you're excellent and accomplished, you serve and you love people well, in good faith and without greed. These were good words from my dad. And you know what? I think Daniel would have agreed with them. And these are words that I've been able to pass along to my children. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Serve and love people well with excellence. Show them that you belong to Jesus in the way that you care for them. Look, no matter what you do, there's always a person at the end. His name is Jesus because you're supposed to serve unto him first and foremost. But there's people somewhere there. And if you can show them the love of God and the way that you serve them by what you do, then you're living your life excellency before God. And God longs for us to be competent in the things that we do. Now, in addition to that, Daniel showed remarkable character traits. And in his character, he showed a commitment to God that was unwavering, especially in the public arena. We're going to talk about this in a few minutes. But you see, if you're going to live your life like this, if you're going to live your life devoted to God in the public arena, you better expect that you are going to experience opposition. There are oppositional forces at the time of Daniel, and they are the same oppositional forces today. It's called Satan and his horde of demons. And they use people all around you and things all around you to sign, oppress you and scare you. And God says, you need to understand that you will be opposed. Listen to the plan of opposition towards Daniel. So these satraps and administrators, they went as a group to the king, and they said, may King Darius live forever. They're blowing some sunshine towards King Darius, right? Oh, king, may you live forever. But they have an objective. Listen, the royal administrators, the prefects, the satraps, the advisors, and the governors, they had all agreed, all of them, that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, Darius, your majesty, shall they, be, they shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree, put it into writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree into writing. Now, look, you've got to understand what's going on here. If it's the law of the Medes and the Persians, that means it cannot be repealed even if the king changes his mind. He's putting something in stone. He's writing this thing down going, you, you, nobody can change this. This has been issued. Now, you know why these satraps want to do this? They hate Daniel. They hate Daniel and they hate his God. They hate the fact that he's actually being elevated and lifted up by the glory of God to have influence for his God. And they're just pawns in this big game, but they hate him so much, they hatch this plan to actually use Daniel's faith against him. They want to put in place laws that rob Daniel of his religious liberties. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Are you aware that we are living in a time that this is happening right now in our culture and in our country? I don't want to get too political about this. Well, I actually do want to become too political about it, but I'm not going to. I'm going to kind of hold. But I heard a presidential candidate say this week, he got up and he said, if a faith-based organization refers to marry same-sex couples, we're just going to remove their nonprofit status. Take away their 501c3. Can I tell you something? I hope by the grace of God, if I ever come to that, I'm going to say what I'll say today. I am not doing that. I love people that are gay. Look, I have gay friends. 
okay? I, I, I love people regardless of what they choose to do with their lives. But I also believe the scripture and acting on homosexual desires is sin, period. I'm not going to participate with that. Are you? Are you? Are you compromising your values because the culture is hatching a plan around you to rob you of your values? I, I, don't, even, I don't even know if I can bring this up, but in Minnesota, I just saw this video this morning. They're actually writing booklets to give out to kindergartners and first graders to show them how to masturbate. To tell them it's absolutely normal. I mean, guys, you got to wake up. This is all around you. There is a plan to oppress you and to silence you and to rob you of your values. And can I tell you, it's not a new plan. It goes back to the time of Daniel, which is a beautiful thing because we can learn from him. Can you tell the persecution of Christians right now in our world is the greatest humanitarian crisis that we face? And yet nobody talks about it. 4,305 Christians have been killed for their faith this year alone. Since January, 1,847 churches and other Christian buildings have been destroyed, bombed, and attacked. 3,150 Christians have been detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned because of their faith. And over 245 million Christians living in places where there are high levels of persecution every day. Don't buy what you hear in the news. You, you, you go to places like an organization called Voice of the Martyrs, and you learn from like an organization called Open Doors. You learn from these Christian Christ-centered organizations because they're on the ground in these countries, and they really know what's happening. By the way, you know where Daniel was at the time of the lion's den? Where Babylon was? Modern-day Iran and Iraq. You know there's a, a revival for the glory of God happening in Iran and Iraq right now? Do you know tens of thousands of people are coming to Christ for the glory of God in that pit of hell? Praise God. Now look, the persecution that people are experiencing in some of these countries, our persecution pales in comparison to some of these places. Maybe that's why we're not white hot on fire for Jesus, because we're not being persecuted enough. I'll leave that there for a moment. But we are experiencing increasing levels of persecution, and we need to be aware of how to respond to this. These satraps were being used by the evil one to silence Daniel and to try and put him down. And Satan has the same plan for you today. Then the plan was to put place laws and societal norms that serve solely one purpose, to muzzle godly people. And these societal norms are around you right now every day. Can I tell you why? How many of you actually go to work every day? How many of you free, absolutely free to speak about Jesus where you work? Far fewer. Far fewer. If you work in a church like Alex, yeah, that's a good thing, right? <laughs> I read a book recently. It's called Dark Agenda, The War to Destroy Christian America. Interestingly enough, it's written by a Jew who doesn't know Jesus, which I thought was fascinating. He makes a case that our country was founded on Protestant Christian principles. Why? Because Christians were fleeing persecution. And they came to our country and they established this country based on values that came from the Scripture. And anything that good that happened here came from Jesus Christ. 
Can I tell you the abolition of slavery is one of those examples that came from Christian values. The right of women to vote, that came from the the Christian value of equality, the priesthood of all believers, Um, equal rights and inclusion, liberty and justice for all, the protectors of religious liberty. All of this came from Christian values that were brought by our founding mothers and fathers. Now, by the way, this enemy who's trying to silence us is trying to rewrite history and even rewrite the books that teach our children history. So parents, stay involved, please. See, because of these Christian principles our country was founded on, the enemy wants to wipe all that out. I'm not trying to talk politics here too much. I'm just trying to say that you need to be equipped to stand firm like Daniel stood firm, like a big old oak tree. If you're not aware that there's a spirit that's trying to silence you at your workplace or in the culture in the country, I think you need to wake up. It's definitely happening. So how did Daniel respond to this plan of oppression? Let's take a look because his response is very clear. So this edict is is decreed. It's written in stone. Even the king can't change it. And it says, anybody who prays to anyone other than you, Darius, they get killed, thrown in the lion's den. Now they're going after Daniel, just like the enemy's coming after you. If you're a true son or daughter of the Most High God, if you're proclaiming the glories of Jesus Christ, the enemy has a bullseye on your back. He wants to come after you. And they're going after Daniel with great intent. They're just pawns. It's really the evil one who's doing it. But listen to what Daniel does. Verse 10. Now when Daniel learned about that the decree had been published, this was his death sentence, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened to Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group, absolutely, and found Daniel praying, and asking God for help. Now look, the way I see it, Daniel had a number of choices. Daniel could have obeyed the edict and kind of fake prayed to Darius. He could have just faked his prayers to him and just obeyed it and just kind of let the whole thing pass. Okay, he could have disobeyed the edict and prayed in private to God, but not really let anybody know what he was doing. He could give the appearance that he was obeying God, man, when he was just kind of obeying God in his own private place. Or he could choose to do what he did. He went home and he prayed and he swung open his windows. That was intentional, folks. That was intentional. This is called passive civil disobedience. And he swung open his windows and he prayed knowing that he would be found out and that he would be subjected to death by lion. How many of you ever think about the way you're going to die? How many of you want to die in your sleep like me? Right? You just, all right, I love sleep. You know that about me. I love sleep. I was good asleep, and Lord, take me home. I'm in a dream, and all of a sudden I'm in heaven. That's the way I want to go. No suffering, right? But I've thought of other ways that I might die, and I'd go out in a ball of flames for the glory of God. That's another way. But I have never thought once that I would like to be ripped up by lions. Anybody say I'd like to be ripped up by lions? How many of you have ever been scratched by a house cat? Oh, my Lord! Those things are crazy. They're so flexible and skilled, and they can take you out. This little house cat is ripping me up. You add four to 500 pounds to that, and you have a lion. You multiply that times like five or six, and you have a den of big old cats that will rip you from limb to limb. I can tell you, I would not want to sign up for that kind of death. Yet Daniel, uncompromising as he is, says, no, I'm going home. And I'm swinging wide open the windows, and I'm praying just like I did every day. I'm just going to continue to remain faithful to my God. 
Now, here's my question to you. Which of these options would you choose if you're Daniel? Would you choose the easiest one? Would you kind of fake worship the king and maybe worship God privately at home? Would you choose the convenient one? Or would you in all likelihood be thrown into the pit with a bunch of lions? Here's my more pointed question. How far are you willing to go for your faith in God to stand publicly for him? How far are you willing to go to stand publicly for God? It's one thing to stand strong in church for God. That's easy. Anybody can walk into a place where we're worshiping and proclaiming the name of Jesus and say, praise God. But are you willing to stand for God on Facebook and Twitter? That's a little more difficult. Are you willing to stand for God at your job site? That's a whole lot more difficult. How about in your school? That's even more difficult. How about in the community marketplace? How about the golf course? How about wherever you go, are you willing to proclaim the glory of the one who saved you and the one whom you love? Or are you a secret disciple? I think it's really easy to be a secret agent Christian, don't you? Some of you are old enough to remember Lady Clairol. Do you remember the Lady Clairol commercial? Only her hairdresser knows for sure. And it was about hair coloring. And, you know, the hair coloring was supposed to be so great that only her hairdresser knew for sure whether she colored her hair or not. Is she a natural blonde? Well, only her hairdresser knows for sure. I think some of us are like Lady Claire, all Christians. Only God knows for sure. Nobody else really knows. Nothing in your life gives an indication that you would stand for God publicly. Daniel's got a decision to make, and that decision is a decision that you and I face every day. Will we wimp out? Will we give in? Will we cave in? What will you choose? Let's look at what he did. When Daniel learned that the new law had been signed, immediately when he knew there was a law in place that would oppress him, he went home and he actually violated the law. He actually prayed as he had been before to Jerusalem with the windows open. He prayed to his God. He said, I'm not going to hide this. This is public praying. I'm going to continue to do what I do. Now look, I have a concern about this message and I need to communicate it because I know there's a minority, but a minority of us, I'm afraid that I'm going to empower the obnoxious. There are those of you out here who are like, oh yeah, go Jeff, preach this message. I do that every day. Yeah, but do you do it well? You know, some of us, I, I've encountered people where they, they want to profess Christ, but they're doing it in such an unchristian way. They're trying to jam the word of God down people's throats. They're hurling insults at people in the name of Jesus. You're like, you might as well join Westboro Baptist Church. I don't really know who those people are, but all I can tell you is they don't look like Jesus. Anybody say amen to that? Amen. Like, so do you want to be like that? I don't want to empower you. So if you're that person, I got another message for you later. But don't take the words I'm saying here and use them to justify your arrogance. Don't take the words I'm saying to be more obnoxious and blow people out of the water with your love for God. Your love should be whimsical. Your love for God should flow naturally from you. Look, I talk about people I love. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love y'all. And when I talk about people who I love, it's just natural. So can I tell you about my wife? Can I tell you about my children? Can I tell you about my son or my daughter? I love them. Can I tell you why I love them, man? Because they're just amazing. Like, this is my kid. Now, if I'm going to talk about my kid or my wife that way, how much more so should I talk about the one who saved me from hell? You talk about people that you love, and you defend people that you love. You come after my wife, you say anything about her or my kids, you're facing my wrath. Now, I can talk about them, but you can't. 
That was kind of a joke. So I just wanted to make sure you understood that before I got home with you, all right? Just wanted to... <laughs> so why? Because it gets up my gander, man. You talk about people I love, you're going to face me. Put your dukes up, man. You don't talk about my wife that way. You don't talk about my kids that way. Back off. I had some people in the church over the years talk about my kids and our family in ways that were really dishonoring. Man, you want to get my anger up? I'll tell you why I love them. I'll tell you why you should love them as well. If for them, how much more so for God? Will you stand and defend the character of God in the midst of a generation that wants to wipe him off the face of the planet? You live in a pagan culture. Man, that's, who you, that's where you live. The question is, will you be a Daniel? How was able, Daniel able to do this? I mean, I've looked at the text, and we can't read it all, but I want to summarize for you some of the reasons why I think Daniel was able to respond in such a way. Here's the first thing. He remembered that God was faithful in the past. So you've you got to look at Daniel's story. Read the whole book, man. It's phenomenal. But read his story seven, eight, nine times he's being tested. He's always being tested. Will he pass this test? He won't back down for that one. Comes up another one. Comes up another one. Will you tell him this dream? Will you not eat his food? Will you not have it on the aisle? He's like, yep, 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 yep. I'm not going to do any of those things. He refuses, he refuses to disavow his God publicly. One of the most repeated words by God in the Old Testament is the word remember. Can you say the word remember with me, please? remember. Why does God say that? He says, remember when I delivered you from Egypt. Remember when I parted the Red Sea. Remember when I gave you the manna. Remember when I did this. Remember when I did this. When your back is up against the wall, you have to remember God's faithfulness. And Daniel is a guy that said, God took care of me when they said I had to eat that, that food and I didn't do it. And he took care of me. He brought me through that. God took care of us when we wouldn't bow down to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. I didn't do that. And God took care of us. God took care of me when I had to deliver these bad news to these kings who could have been off with my head. And yet, God delivered me. He carried me through. If he carried me through again, then he can carry me through again. Different tests, every single one of them. But Daniel remembers that God has been faithful in the past. Sometimes when you feel fear in a situation like this, you forget about who God is and you forget about his faithfulness. I would, I would encourage you to remember how much he's done for you, how he sustained you, and respond accordingly. Second, I think Daniel, we know Daniel had a conversation with God three times a day. Listen, he had a conversation with God. The scripture says he knelt down to pray as usual. He prayed three times a day. Now, we can assume that Daniel did this most of his life. Let me ask you a question. Do you think if you prayed three times a day, you had a conversation with God on your knees three times a day, every day of your life for 85 years, do you think that would make your faith stronger? You can bet it will. Any possibility that might have impact on your confidence level? Any possibility that might make you a little less insecure? Any possibility that would make you immune to the disapproval of other people? Any possibility that that would help you not to fear rejection? Any possibility that that would help you to stand strong publicly and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ in a culture that wants to throw stones at you? If you don't get anything else I'm, I'm going to say to you in this whole message, I want you to understand this. The secret of standing strong is kneeling often. The secret of standing strong and proclaiming God's glory in the public arena is that you're on your knees before God often. You need to be humbling yourself before God. And Daniel had a conversation with God three times a day. 
He knows God. He knows his heart. He's not worried about what other people are going to think about him. He's only focused on God. And that's what we're called to do. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now, Daniel also knows this. He knows that the rewards are greater than any of the risks. It's risky to break a law. Yes, it's, it's, there might be punishment. Yes, he could even lose his life. Yes. But you know what Peter and the apostles said to the Sanhedrin when they faced them? Remember the Sanhedrin? A bunch of religious guys that want to wipe out Peter and the apostles because they're performing all these miracles in the name of Jesus Christ. So they come before the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin's like trying to intimidate them, trying to silence them, trying to push them down and oppress them. And this is what we say. they say. We must obey God rather than man. Can you say that after me? We must obey God rather than man. Friends, this is one of the most important texts you can memorize, and you just spoke a memory verse. Can you say it again? We must obey God rather than man. It's an important text because as America continues to change, I think we're going to experience more and more oppression. I think it's going to be harder and harder for us to express our faith publicly. And God needs deeply, deeply rooted followers of Jesus to stand strong like Daniel. You're going to have to decide if you're going to be like Peter and the apostles. We must obey God rather than man. What's God, Daniel, doing? He's practicing passive civil disobedience. That's what he's doing. He's not marching on people. He's not killing people. He's being passive in it, but he's disobeying the law of the land. Why? So he can obey the law of God. Now, this freaks some people out. You're like, well, the scripture tells us to obey the law of the land. Yes, that's true, only as long as it doesn't defile the law of God. Because you serve only one king, and his name is King Jesus. And so any king above below him who actually proclaims something that gets in the way of him, you choose him over that king. I can guarantee you, you will have a reward every time you do that. He you know, says, I'm not gonna go, I'm gonna go home now, I'm gonna throw open my windows, I'm gonna pray in public. He's not hiding it, he's going against what's just been decreed. But he knows the rewards of doing what is right is greater than the risks and the devastation of, of doing what he's doing now. He's not shaken. Now, we're going to look at the benefits here in a few minutes. I want to talk about those. Here's the first one. Six that I want you to realize. The first one is this. When you trust God to be strong and stand for him in the public forum and proclaim him, you are going to have victory over your fear. How many of you are afraid of proclaiming the name of Jesus in the workplace, in the school, and everywhere you go? Okay, I'm going to ask the question again, because either you're in denial. How many of you are afraid of proclaiming the name of Jesus someplace on the planet? Thank you for your honesty. There, there's a lot of fear, guys. Let's be honest about this. Remember, fear is false evidence appearing real. Say that. False evidence appearing real. So fear is not real. Only Jesus is real. So your fears, they get wiped out by Jesus every time. Now, you, know what, you want fear to grow? Give in to it. Let it control you, and it will become bigger. I can tell you, as someone who's recovered from panic disorder, that's how you give in to fear. That's how you get worse. You just give in to the fear. You just feed it with second fear. You keep feeding it with second fear, and you get fear upon fear after fear after fear, and you build it. Why? Because you're giving in to it. Fear grows when you give in to it, but it lessens when you move against it. Now, here's the thing. You can't argue your way out of fear. Fear doesn't respond to reason. Fear responds to action. So if you want to kind of pass through the Jordan River, you got to step into it. you got to actually move into it. Can I tell you that every major decision that we've made here at Grace Fellowship Church has stirred a level of fear in us? Because like, well, 
How is that ever going to happen? We cast vision for something like, you know, 60 elderly people living in a giant place down there. We're going to redo that for millions of dollars, and we're going to take elderly people who can't afford anywhere to live, and we're going to give them a place to live. Isn't that a beautiful vision? Right? But can I tell you, when we cast that vision, you know what comes in? What if it doesn't happen? What, what if people don't respond to that? What if, what if, what if, what if, what, all the what ifs? And can I tell you what happens when you walk and you just trust God to continue walking in what he's told you to do? The fear is overcome. You have victory over fear. We choose to trust God versus trusting our fears. Days of Apostle Paul and others in the Roman Empire that were Christians, it was against the law to be a Christian then. You announce you're a Christian, you'll be thrown into a den of lions, just like Daniel was. And you're, and you're going to get strung up or hung on a cross in the Appian Way, and they killed thousands and thousands of Christians this way. You're taking your life in your hands when you proclaim you're a Christian. And in Acts 4.29, this is what the apostles prayed. Lord, you know the threats that people make, so help us, your servants, to speak your word without fear. Do you realize they didn't pray, God, protect me from those threatening people. Take their threats away, God. No, they didn't say any of that. They said, in the midst of all those threats, just help us to speak your word without fear. You can put that verse on a card. Lord, you know the threats that people make at work or in the school. You know, you know help me, your servant, to speak your word without fear. Standing for God builds your faith and your character. Faith and character are like muscles. You have to stress them to build them. How many of you are muscle builders in the gym? Anybody? There's a few. Now look, I have this vision of myself in my 70s and 80s as this ripped, virile guy. Now, I don't know if the vision's from God or not, but I've taken it to him several times, and he says, well, if that is my vision for your life, then, Jeff, you need to do something about it. But God, can't you just make me have like six-pack abs? Can't I lay around and watch, you know, uh, what's that show? Um, Who Paid Less for the Dress? That one? Can I just watch that? I don't watch that. I don't know what that is. I just thought I'd bring it up. But can I just lay around and watch TV and eat bonbons and grow muscles? And you know, the answer is no. No, you got to get up. you got to stress the muscle. Why? Because when you work a muscle, you tear the muscle. And when you tear the muscle, new muscle grows. It's the same way with your character and with your faith. You have to put it under stress. You have to rip it. You have to let the culture and the evil one even have at you in such a way that you move against them so that you can grow stronger. Listen to 2 Timothy 1.8. You must never be ashamed to tell others about your Lord. With the strength that God gives you, be ready to suffer if necessary to share the good news. See, when you, when you walk in this way, pr- publicly proclaiming the name of Jesus for the glory of God, you have victory over fear. You, you're standing for God, and it builds your faith in your character, and it also opens up an opportunity for a miracle. Now look, the truth of most people I talk to, Christians, they've never seen miracles. Some people would say, well, I believe in miracles, but I've never really seen one. And can I tell you, you might not have ever seen one because you've never exercised faith and trust to actually allow God to open a door for a miracle. I don't understand miracles completely. All I'm telling you is that I'm a miracle. I know my life is a miracle. And I've seen miracle after miracle after miracle in my life. Of course, Daniel saw a miracle. Why? Because he gave God that opportunity. He went home and he threw open the windows and he continued to pray to God. He actually publicly proclaimed God, his relationship with him. 
So look, this guy Darius the king, if you know him, he, um, if you've read about this at all, you realize that he loved Daniel. Even though he was the one who signed the decree, he loved Daniel passionately. And he got so distraught, he couldn't sleep at all that night. He couldn't eat anything. He, he, he liked this guy too much. His stomach is churning, and he's knowing that Daniel has been thrown into the lion's den. And when he heard that this has been thrown into the pit, he can't sleep. He stays up all night. And the next morning, at the light of the first dawn, here's where the story picks up in Daniel 6, 19 through 23. At the light of the first dawn, the king got up and hurried to the pit filled with lions. When he got there, he called out to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? So he's crying out to Daniel, and he's acknowledging his God, whom he serves continually. And this is the next verse. Daniel answered, O God, my king sent his angel, and he shut up the mouths of the lions, and they have not hurt me at all, because God knew I've done nothing against him or you, O king. And the king was overjoyed, and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the pit. Do you think that's a miracle? Praise God. Are you still in the pit? Or has God lifted you up out of that pit? And listen, the king was overjoyed and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the pit. And when Daniel was lifted out, there was not a single scratch on his body because he had trusted God. Now look, I don't have time to get into this, but this is an archetype of Jesus. Those of us who know the book of Daniel know that this is a foreshadowing of Christ in the grave and resurrecting. There's so many analogies here you can look into, but this is a miracle. You know many famous painters, Michelangelo and Raphael and others, they've painted Daniel's in the lion's den because it's a historic moment. There wasn't a scratch on his body. So when you step out publicly for God and you stand strongly for him, you open the door for God to perform a miracle in your life and in the lives of people around you. Look, when you do this, it encourages other believers to stand up as well. Do you know that fear is contagious? Do you know that courage is also contagious? You know, I've been in, in settings where there's groups of Christians in the public arena, and there are people there who know the Lord, but they're among people who don't know the Lord. We live in a pagan culture. And so when something is put out in front of them that violates the virtues or the values of being a Christian, then we need to speak up. And you know what happens? If you don't speak up and people know you're a believer, they feed off your fear. But if you speak up, can I tell you something? You're giving an opportunity for others to speak up as well. I've seen it in my own life. You know, when I'm among people and there's some people who know the Lord and others don't, if I speak up first, if I speak up and proclaim Jesus Christ publicly, it allows other believers to actually move forward in the same way. It's contagious. Listen to Philippians 1.14. Because what I've been through, many Christians here have gained confidence and they become more bold in telling others about Christ. Your boldness will encourage other people to be bold. That's a benefit. It's also a powerful example to those who don't know Jesus. In fact, I think that this may be your greatest witness, that you can stand strong and proclaim Jesus Christ in the midst of a pagan culture where people are trying to oppress you and shut you up. I think that and how you handle your pain are potentially the greatest witnesses you have. That you can actually practice this around your unbelieving friends, your neighbors, your relatives, your co-workers. That you can talk to people in such a way that you share your adoration for Jesus Christ without fear. Acts 4.13 says this, When the council that was there in Jerusalem saw the boldness of Peter and John, 
they were amazed because they knew they were just ordinary men. But it was clear they had been with Jesus. Look, I want to encourage you. When you speak boldly for Christ, it impacts people around you. This pagan king, Darius, was the second king that Daniel had the honor of leading to a relationship with God. Nebuchadnezzar was the first one. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the God of heaven for everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. That was Nebuchadnezzar's profession, this pagan king after he was driven out to a field and made to eat grass like a cow. Then Darius, here he goes, listen, then King Darius sent this proclamation to every nation, race, and language on the earth. Listen, I decree that the God of Daniel is to be honored and worshipped in every part of my kingdom, for he is the living God. You hear this? This is coming from an unbeliever. He stepped over the line. He's the living God. He's the one who endures forever. His kingdom will last, outlast all human kingdoms. Why did this guy acknowledge God? Because Daniel was afraid. No, because Daniel was confident in God. He was secure in God. He was fearless in God. He was willing to go to the pit for God. This guy just keeps going. Why? Because he stands firm in his faith and his relationship with God. I want to give you one more example of this benefit. You know, in about, well, how many months is it till Christmas now? Two? Yeah, according to Walmart, it's like tomorrow, right? <laughs> You walk in there, I have a buddy in Walmart, he's an unbelieving friend, and he works in there, and I, I walked in and I get, hey, Merry Christmas, man. He's like, what? I'm like, eh, it's all around us. But you know, at Christmas, you see manger scenes, right? Of course, the focal point is Jesus, but then you have the shepherd, and then you also have these wise guys, the wise men. Now, it, you know, it gets messed up a little bit, because we always say there's three. There's nothing biblical saying there was three. There's actually probably more than that, 10, 15, 20. We don't even really know. But these guys came from the east, you know where they came from? Babylon, the Persian Empire, where Daniel was. That's modern-day Iran and Iraq. They came from that area, and it says, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star from the east, and we've come to worship him. Let me ask you a question. How do a bunch of pagan witchcraft guys come to know Jesus as king of the Jews? How do they come to know the prophecy of the Messiah? How in the world did they know that he would be born under a star? Can I tell you how? Because God used Daniel. Daniel was one of the first magi. And God used him to speak into these kings in such a way that 18 generations later, there are people coming from Babylon, Iran, and Iraq to find the one who is God, the Messiah, the Holy One of God, Jesus Christ. Because Daniel was willing to stand publicly and proclaim his love for God. How about you? You know, it's a long-term impact when we do this. It's not only a model for your children, not only a model for your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, it's a model for future generations to come that more and more would come to know the love of God. See, standing strong for God will also be rewarded in eternity. Matthew, it says these words, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. You know, someday, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're going to eject out of your earth suit. And you're going to go into the presence of God forever. And you are going to be worshiping him forever. And it's going to be an amazing party. Anybody say amen to that? 
And if you're in Christ Jesus, if you've accepted him as your savior, you are going to be accepted and you are going to be doing a dance. Everybody's going to be dancing. Everybody's going to be singing. There's no more tears, no more pain. And yet the scripture is clear. Some of us will be rewarded based on the things that we did on earth. Now, I don't think I'm going to be sitting there going, geez, I wish I had Brad's rewards. Geez, I wish I had Denny's rewards. No, we're going to be celebrating in what God did. But can I tell you something? If you're willing to stand strong publicly for Jesus Christ today, can I tell you in heaven, you will be rewarded. You will be rewarded. Jesus says it, and I believe it. So I have a question for you today. Are you tired of all the political correctness? Are you tired of this plan to effectively put a muzzle on you as a Christian and to silence you in the public arena? I have a question. For you. Are you willing to stand publicly and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ? If you are, I want to encourage you to stand to your feet now. If you're willing to do this, I want to encourage you to stand to your feet now. If you're willing to allow God to form your character in such a way that you will take risks for him, to speak about him publicly, to tell people why you love him. I want to ask one other equipment as the team comes out. I want to ask if you'd be willing to pray like Daniel. I've been practicing for this for a little while, some off, some on, some on and some off. But if you'd be willing to give God 15 minutes of your day by praying in the morning, five minutes on your knees, five minutes in the afternoon on your knees, and five minutes in the evening on your knees, can I tell you something? If you go to him and you cry out to him, he will answer you. And can I tell you something? He will empower you. And can I tell you something? He will change your life because he is the one who builds your character. Remember, the key to standing strong is kneeling often. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you for the story of your son, Daniel. We ask now in the name of Jesus that you would empower us, Lord God, to speak boldly for the cause of your kingdom. For our lives are but a vapor. God, we get consumed and distracted by so many other things here on planet Earth, but you are the one who matters most. God, help us to hold on to this truth that you will never leave us nor forsake us, and that you will someday bring us home. In light of that truth, God, help us to give everything and to risk everything to spread your love to all those we meet. We thank you that you are faithful. We thank you that you are powerful and that we can trust you. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So this song we're going to sing is called In Christ We Stand, right? In Christ Alone. But of course it has no power of hell, scheme of hell, no power of man can ever pluck me from his hand until he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. So I'm going to ask you, would you please sing this like you mean it? Let's do that together.